Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries, of curiosities, of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Hey, did you get your friends into the box yet? Hmm? It's an opportunity for you to win a one year's entrance into the inner circle of freaks on Patreon. You get the Zoom calls, you get the ad free episodes, you get bonus episodes, inside content, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, and it's free to enter, does not cost anything. No, just go to theboxofoddities.com or you can follow the link that I've put on social media. And there you have the opportunity to share your your super fancy special custom link with your friends. And once you do that, you can get bonus points in a number of different ways, like liking us on Spotify or whatever. It's pretty simple, and it'll really help us grow the podcast. We're coming into a, a new year, and uh, of course, with a new year, this would be a big help. We appreciate it. TheBoxOfOddities.com says contest right up there on the top of the page. You could click on that. I mean, you could click anywhere you wanted yeah, to, yeah, but, you but if you don't click that link, then you can't enter. And who knows where you'll end up? Probably on the dark web where they'll steal your personal oh, information okay. and, right. and body parts. I do want to say that you've done a lovely job updating and freshening the website. It looks really nice. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. It was looking a bit stodgy. Yeah, it really looked like a bag of pants. I'm really excited to tell you this story because it is so Katrina Walls. Oh? Yeah. Are you ready for it? I'm super ready. Okay. In a charming neighborhood of Los Angeles, John Ray's and his family came into a, a treasure, a treasure of a different sort. It was an heirloom home in the Pico Union neighborhood, and uh, it had been uh, there for a long time. It was built in the early 1900s, and it was a quaint residence. 
I have a question. I know it's like right at the top and probably you're like already, but I, I, what does an heirloom home mean? It means that it was a home owned by the family and passed down through generations. Okay, but these people aren't the family? They are. They are the family. Yes. Okay. I was getting to that. I'm so sorry. (laughs) At one point in its early uh, incarnation, it was a uh, popular bed and breakfast. Travelers from all over the place uh, would find rest and repose there. This house was where Fritz, a man of German roots, and Fritz's brother had planted their feet firmly on American soil um, in the mid-century. It was pretty symbolic of the immigrant story, you know, one of hope and new beginnings. And the two brothers spent their entire lives, rest of their lives anyway, in this house. Years they lived there. And the house stood the test of time. Fritz and his brother left their imprint on it. But as time marched on, Fritz and his brother passed away and the house was passed on. So they go over to look at the house and they they look inside and they thought, my gosh, this place has such a an opportunity for revival. It was well-kept. It was a relic of a bygone day, and it held within it not just memories of the family, but pretty much everything known to man. Um, (laughs) The family was eager to breathe new life into the old walls, and uh, their vision was pretty clear, to revitalize the structure and bring it back to its former glory. However, the dream of renewal was not a simple affair. Because its rooms and hallways, as I alluded to a moment ago, cluttered with tangible memories from Fritz and his brother throughout the decades that they lived in this house. Were Fritz and his brother hoarders or did they just collect? Okay, that's there's a distinction there. I get that. And I think it was a little bit of both because they grew up during the Depression. Mm-hmm. And when they moved into this house, it was uh, during World War II. And they did not believe in frivolous lifestyle or wasting things. To them, every object was kind of a a piece of insurance against uncertain times. Absolutely, get it. So all the stuff in the house, it kind of reflected their belief, especially Fritz's, in not wasting things and his journey from scarcity to stability. The house kind of became a museum of sorts, decades that... uh, that represented thrift and foresight, but also, you know, lots of stuff. This reminds me a lot of my dad. My dad was very much this way. Grew up during the Depression and always had this idea like, oh, I could use that for something. Yeah. If he had an opportunity to get something for a deal, even if he didn't need it, right. it was like, well, someone will need it. Somebody at some point. Yeah, my, my grandmother was a lot like that. She would uh, save and reuse lum- aluminum foil. Mm-hmm. It was like a big ball of it in the yeah. shed. Well, at least it's not reusing bread bags. Am I right? Those bread bags were me shoes. <laughs> so because of all the stuff, the task of cleaning the house out was monumental. Uh, it required sifting through a mountain of objects trying to determine, you know, which is going to be worth something and which is just junk to, to, to throw out. And the work continued for weeks and then months. And ultimately, they worked their way to the basement. In the basement's dim light. <laughs> I'm just getting so excited. <laughs> I just feel like there's something really exciting coming. <laughs> In the dim basement light, amidst 
the musty air that clung to the cobwebs. How's that? And old pipes rusted with time. Get on with it. All right. They found a crawl space. <gasps> Did they spelunk? I don't think it was big enough for one to properly spelunk. It was a small space and you had to kind of squeeze into it. It was not a place for the faint-hearted. I don't think you would have gone inside. No, probably not. As they edged further navigating this tight confine with their hands, they kept finding loose pennies here and there. Pennies that had once been rolled, but the paper rolling things that they would roll pennies in had long disintegrated because of the dampness in the basement and just time. So these stray pennies were just the beginning, though. It was like a trail of breadcrumbs. As they moved forward, following this trail of pennies, they found a crate of pennies. Okay, now I'm getting in that hole. <laughs> <laughs> and then more crates of pennies and boxes and boxes and boxes Were the of pennies, pennies getting older as they were getting further back in the crawl space? At this point, they had no idea. Okay. In fact, they probably weren't even sure that all of these boxes and crates were full of pennies, but everyone they checked was. And it kept going back farther into the uh, crawl space until they hit the mother load. Dozens and dozens and dozens of old bank bags stuffed with pennies huh? from who knows how long ago. Some of the bank's names that were printed on the bags hadn't existed for decades. Oh my goodness. So Fritz, a guy who was shaped by the war and its aftermath, understood the value of copper. He recognized at this point in time in history that materials were not just commodities. They could be lifelines. They could be an insurance policy, if you will. When the country shifted its coinage from copper to zinc, and this would have been around 1942, mm -hmm. Fritz saw the policy change as an opportunity and he began to gather copper pennies, recognizing the value of copper would only appreciate as the years rolled on. Mm. They had no idea what they were dealing with other than a lot of pennies. Right. Getting the pennies out of the crawl space and up the basement stairs was not a simple chore. They shouldered sack after sack of coins up the basement stairs. And once they were out, they decided the best way to get an idea of what they were dealing with was to weigh the pennies and extrapolate how many pennies there were. Just didn't want to miss the opportunity to say shouldering sack after sack sounds like a great weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right? Oh. <clears throat> Sorry. Once the pennies were weighed, they estimated that there were about one million of them, <gasps> which is about, well, is exactly $10,000 face value. But who knows what treasure could lie within the pile of a million pennies? One penny recently sold a rare penny uh, for like $300,000. Yeah. You just, you don't know. So this is not just a physical challenge, it's a logistical puzzle as well. How do they convert this dispendable cash? Should they take it to the nearest bank? The bags, heavy with the weight of copper, tested the limits of the truck that they were transporting the coins to. They decided they were just gonna go take them to the bank and what? let somebody else deal with it. What? 
No. You put on an episode of Antiques Roadshow, you get yourself a nice hot cup of tea, and you start sorting. <laughs> We've oh spent my God. many that nights like that. That is my like dream I, weekend. I know, honey, I know. Oh. So they go to the bank, and the banks were like, what? No, we can't do anything with this. Uh, there's way too much to deal with. Uh, I wonder if they went, they tried to cash it in through the drive-through, just you know, right. pull, pull up with a U-Haul. Full of a million pennies and... Push the button to request the <laughs> the shunk tube. Shunk. They ain't going to get that in the shunk tube. Nope. No. So then they're thinking, okay, well, bank will take it. We could, I guess, go to like Coinstar, you know, at the supermarket. Oh my God, I want to vomit. Are that, you kidding me? That would take forever though, and it would eat up a significant portion of the find and fees. It was an option, but far from the optimal one. Then their bank suggested to them, really, you know, you should be searching through these these coins because there could be not one, but several coins of, of significant value in there. But the family was exhausted by not only trying to rehab this house, but then dealing with tons of copper. Going through a million coins one by one was just too much for them. And as you mentioned, that would be the ultimate for you and I. Um, <laughs> we've actually spent many nights similarly <laughs> with nights. with an app that we have going through coins that have been collected over the years and finding the value. And Kat has a pretty extensive coin collection. She's Shut got up. like no, a, I don't. a half penny from like the early 1800s. Stop. And no, I don't. Somewhere in Orlando, Florida, there's a storage unit with probably, I don't know, 80 pounds of collectible coins. What is wrong with you? Why would you say that out loud? <laughs> Why don't you just give them the address of all of my earthly goods? <laughs> they decided what they would do is they would list the entire lot of 1 million pennies online <gasps> for not the $10,000 face value, but $25,000 with a disclaimer saying there, we don't know what's in here. Yeah. There may be some valuable coins. And if there's a million of yeah. them, there's probably going to be some. It's like Can, buying a storage area or an Amazon pallet. I want to do that. I do too. Yeah. I'm just afraid I'd end up with a pallet full of broken coffee makers. Think of the art you could make with that. Like you've just got like a bunch of, okay, never mind. I'm just getting into yeah, it. Yeah. Now you're, yep. creative juices are flowing. Don't say juices. You can say sack after sack over your shoulder. <laughs> Sounds like a great weekend. But I say juices and you get offended. It's different. Mm -hmm. So they list this lot of pennies. This is in the Los Angeles area. For $25,000, it took less than a week to sell them. In fact, they got so many offers that they couldn't go through them all. They wanted to make sure though that it went to somebody who would appreciate the find and not just cash it in, but go through the lot and, and sort through them. Well, I would hope after paying $25,000, they wouldn't just cash it in. That would be silly, Billy. It would be, it would be. That was the idea behind it. So it was kind of a mix of sweet and sour when they finally said goodbye to the pennies. Uh, they didn't want to have to haul them around anymore. They didn't want to have to deal with them anymore. They did want to get some monetary uh, return on it. But still, they were collected by Fritz. Right. A family member. And 
other guy who we also cared very much about. And whose name didn't appear in any of the news sources that I am about to cite. But they kept a few. They kept a couple of handfuls of, of pennies just as a... Um, a piece of family history, something that they can help tell the tale sure. and pass it on through the next couple of generations. Now, this happened recently, and there has been no follow-up on whether or not the pennies have started to be sorted. And I'm hoping if they find something, they didn't reveal the buyer's name. They wanted to keep it. Uh, sure. You, know, you didn't want to be hounded by people like you and me. Well, I would hope, though, that if something is found, it would be publicized. I I just can't imagine not knowing. Yeah. KTLA Los Angeles, a couple of great stories um, on on this. And Ripley's Believe It or Not is where I found it. So our 10th wedding anniversary is coming up. And if you are looking for just the right gift for me. Sacks and sacks of pennies? Well, no, I mean, I'm not greedy. But like a wheelbarrow full of pre-World War II spelunked coinage. Sure. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? 
rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now... That thing in the middle. If you're thinking of moving to Japan, good news. There are lots of ways to make a living. But none more strange than this. In Japan, you can hire a handsome man to show up at your workplace. He'll then watch sad videos with you until you cry. And then gently wipe away your tears. For a small fee, of course. We got a message from Dara telling us that her son, Bobby, wanted to use $5 of his allowance every month so he could have his own Patreon account. And I mean... That is so adorable. It's the sweetest thing I've ever heard. And then Bobby got to join us on our most recent Zoom call. And it was so much fun. And then he got sent off to bed and he did not seem happy about it. And I don't (laughs) think I would have been either. Let's be real. Um, We just wanted to thank so much both Dara and Bobby for joining us in the inner circle and just listening to the podcast, bringing up a uh, young generation of freaks. I think it's important. You're doing good work there, Dara. Maxine writes, hey, Kat and Jethro, just listen to Kat's story about the beaver attacks. Mm. You should Google otter attack Singapore for a story about a man who was attacked by over 20 otters in a park. What? And there's a link for it. Yes, I'll be I'll be looking at that right after we're done recording. Thanks, Maxine. That would suck. You know, you go to the park for an afternoon. Maybe you've got your family with you thinking, ah, it's, it's a beautiful afternoon. Let's let's go and spread a blanket by the waterside and have a picnic. And as you're munching your tuna sandwich, 20 otters leap out of the lake and attack you, ripping and shredding the flesh from your bones. Oh, carrying the remains of your children back into the lake. I don't know. All of that sounds terrible. I don't even like tuna. Chantal sent us a message. It's a video of sounds from space. That's the sound of a helix nebula. They were like, this This first sound will scare the hell out of you. And it absolutely did. Why I decided crap. to listen to it while I was doing my 3 a.m. pee. I do not know because then I had to go back to bed and I was like, the nebula's going to get me. <laughs> That's terrifying. It sounds like something from uh, the soundtrack of Friday the 13th. You know, the good one. Thanks, guys. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. 
and you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the podcast that famous people listen to, but only admit it to their pastors, therapists, or lawyers. And even then, only after a couple of cocktails. This is The Box of Oddities. So we had to shut all the doors and the windows in this little area that we have created for our studio. And there's no airflow, so fair warning, I'm doing the second half of this show with no shirt on. So obviously it's going to be hard for me to stay focused. Right. That's that's why I wanted to mention it. <laughs> Because I'm sure it's going to be very distracting mm-hmm. for Kat. All right. What do you got? You've probably heard something about uh, Istanbul formerly being called some other city name. Constantinople. That's the one. Is that the one? Yeah. Home Con- of the whirling dervishes. Constantinople was the capital of the Byzantine Empire until it was conquered by the Ottoman Empire in 1453. And after that conquest, the Ottomans renamed the city Istanbul, um, and that became the new capital of their empire. When, whenever I hear the term Ottoman Empire, I picture like little pieces of furniture you put your feet on mm-hmm. wearing armor. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Yeah. You don't want to see a skirmish between the Ottoman Empire and the stool boom. From the parlor to the pool room? You know it. The name change reflected the cultural and political shift from Byzantine to Ottoman rule. Similarly, Saigon underwent a name change to Ho Chi Minh City after the end of the Vietnam War. Saigon was the capital of South Vietnam during the war and when the communist forces from North Vietnam reunified the country in 75, they renamed the city Ho Chi Minh City. The new name was to signify victory and their ideology and all that business. Saigon is still pretty commonly used, especially in informal contexts. Even more recently though, in 1995, Bombay changed its name to Mumbai. Again, it was a political and cultural thing. The city's name was officially changed to Mumbai to reflect its historical Marathi identity and to honor the city's patron deity. Also, Bombay was kind of a colonial era name derived from the Portuguese Bombahia, meaning good bay. And so they wanted to shed that, you know, colonized name. Opinions were divided amongst the residents. Some viewed it as a positive step toward reclaiming their local heritage and others saw it as a political move and that's generally the way that it is, not always, but often when a city decides to change its name, there are those that just want to stick with the status quo, and there are those that love the idea of reclaiming or claiming perhaps for the first time a, a new identity. A great example of this is Oslo. Oslo was originally called Oslo. 
Oslo was founded in 1024, and in 1624, it was renamed Christiania after the Danish king. In 1877, the spelling was altered, so it started with a K instead, but... When Norway became completely independent in 1905, the locals thought that it was inappropriate to maintain the name of a Danish king, and they changed it back to Oslo. I remember one time when I was looking on real estate listings in Oslo and seeing some of the really cool structures and architecture there, and then there was this one house, and Everything in it was super old school. It looked like it hadn't been updated at all since maybe the early 80s. It was <laughs> it was just so time capsule except for the upstairs bedroom was almost completely black and had a lot of um, like hooks and stuff in the ceilings. Ooh. It was very weird. Well, that's, yeah, now that you mention it, yeah. <laughs> that was the room where they bled out their visitors. <laughs> Anyway, Oslo seems great. Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. I feel like Truth or Consequences sounds very Old Westish, does it not? It, it also sounds very old game showy. There were a lot of Old West towns with names like that, like Purity and, you know, just... Yeah, yeah. yeah. I always feel like, you know, you'll tell the truth or you'll pay the consequences at the gallows or you'll be honest while you're playing cards or you'll be walking 10 paces, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. But Truth or Consequences got its name as a result of a radio show contest in 1950. The popular NBC radio program called Truth or Consequences announced that it would air its 10th anniversary episode from the town that would change its name to match the show's title. And they didn't they didn't change it back. No. Yeah. They just embraced wow. it. Okay. I remember uh, a TV version of that seeing it in reruns when I was a kid hosted by Bob Barker. Was it hosted by Bob Barker? Well, the TV show was. Was he all touchy-feely on that show too? <laughs> I don't recall. I do appreciate his work toward controlling the animal population, but I did not like how kissy-huggy he was. It was a different time, sweetie. What was it with all game shows and the kissy-hugginess? Who was that one that used to do Family Feud that was so gross and would just like lick women? It was awful. <laughs> Richard Dawson. Yes. Yeah. He just put his mouth on everyone who walked in that room. It was awful. Anyway, what was I saying? Yes, the town decided to change the name. It was seen as an opportunity to gain national attention and promote tourism. It brought publicity to the town for sure. And as a result, it gained a reputation as being kind of quirky and unique. And it just embraced it. It's continued to celebrate its connection to the radio show and every year holds a festival or a fiesta to commemorate the name change and attract visitors to experience the area's hot springs, which I think are enough of a reason to visit. It used to be called Hot Springs. Really? Yeah. Wow. Which was certainly more descriptive. Yeah, yeah. Well, first, first law of marketing, say what you are. Moving right along. In June of 1892, settler Titus Bronson arrived in southwest Michigan and later recorded the first plot of land for the village of Bronson in 1831. Other settlers in this area did not love Titus Bronson. He believed that alcohol was 
a no-no and should be banned. Also, no tobacco, no gambling, and also no dancing. What a dick. It was a very footloose kind of situation. (laughs) And so the town decided, no, we're not going to call this Bronson anymore. We're now Kalamazoo. Which even just the sound of that name feels very anti Titus Bronson. Yeah, does t- we're gonna take the Kalamazoo we're, sound we're, fun? We're gonna we're gonna take your name off this town mm-hmm. and name it the silliest thing we can think of. Kalamazoo. So Titus Bronson moved because he was like, "Well, fuck you guys." <laughs> really? Was he still alive when the? Oh, yep. okay. All right. Wow. Yep. But he was not impressed. <laughs> he moved. No. Um, (laughs) I love that. Um, Just packing my stuff and I'm going to go. Taking my ball with me. I'm going to load up my donkey and head west. Now, Kalamazoo, it's interesting that it sounds so like fun and goofy. Uh, And there are some conflicting stories about where that name comes from. Some people believe that it revolves around Fleetfoot, who was a member of the Potawatomi people, Mm. and that he won his bride by completing a run from the settlement to the river and back before a pot of water boiled away. And the name somehow translates from boiling pot or where the water boils in a pot. Other possible meanings for Kalamazoo include reflective river or stone seen in the water from which reflection looks like otters, which I think is another great example of town names that mean like really specific and weird things but i think that's lovely stones seen in the water from which reflection looks like otters that's beautiful i know i think it's way better than a guy winning a woman anyway the other (laughs) hey hey he beat a pot of boiling water the other potential meaning of kalamazoo is smothered which originates from a legend about a native american who narrowly escaped a forest fire which is not as fun no 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 not at all Kim Basinger. You remember her, right? I do. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast the other day where they referred to her as Kim Bassinger. And I thought, oh my gosh, have I said this wrong the whole time? <laughs> so I just Googled it. And the the nice man in the YouTube video said Kim Basinger. So I'm going to go with that. In 1989, Kim Basinger bought a small town in Georgia called Brasselton and named it after herself. The town was called Basinger. That sounds very Shit's Creek. It does. Her intention was to turn the town into a tourist attraction and film production center. But her plans didn't work out as expected, and she faced some financial difficulties. And eventually she sold the town back to the original owner, and they immediately turned it back to Brasselton. (laughs) It's a good thing she could have ended up living in, in a motel. Well, I just feel like you know people have a hard time pronouncing your last name. Why call the town that? Why not call it like Kimsville or something? Yeah. Kimton. Kim. Kimborough. Kim Chesterson Fieldville. Any of those work. Yeah. A small Austrian town had gained international attention due to its very peculiar name and decided to rectify the issue. The original name is believed to refer to a man named Fako who owned the land during the 11th the 11th century mm-hmm. during the 11th century and over time the name evolved to become the town's official name of fucking oh, okay now in recent years 
The town faced issues with tourists mm-hmm. stealing or vandalizing signs. Sure, sure. This is very inconvenient and well, frustrating. They, they had that problem in Canada uh, on Harry Dick Road, stealing the signs, so they had to change the name of the, of the road. That makes me think of Lindsey Buckingham. Harry, Harry Dick, Dick Road. Road. <clears throat> so after considering several alternatives, in 2021, the town decided to rename itself Fugging. <laughs> the new name may <laughs> maintain some similarity to the original while avoiding the explicit nature of the previous name. Well, they, they could have taken a page from um, autocorrect and just called it Ducking. Don't you hate it when autocorrect does that? I really do. That's not what I mean, autocorrect, and you know it. So rarely do I actually use the word ducking. Yeah. Maybe I should just set up a rule so that it automatically changes it. I don't know. Anyway, that's enough. (laughs) uh, They're very happy now that they are not having to face tourists who just come to their town to make fun of their town name. Um, So now they're called fugging. Mm -hmm. Okay. I just don't think it's better. I just don't think it's better. Okay. I got my information from The Guardian, Ranker, Yahoo, and TheHiddenNorth.com. I love that. I love all of it. Thank you. We appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Don't forget, get your friends into the box. Go to theboxofoddities.com, click on the contest link, and you could win one free year in the inner circle of freaks. Your membership includes all kinds of stuff, including ad-free episodes, episodes early, bonus episodes, Zoom meetings, and this picture I just took of (laughs) JG not wearing a shirt. Oh, my God. Nope, no stretching now. No, (sighs) nope. Oh, that's not fair. TheBoxOfOddities.com. <laughs> click contest. Click, <laughs> click, click the contest. And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Mm, fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. So hot in here. Yeah, it is. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. Alrighty. Do you have a um, an email or a message? I suppose I could. Right now I'm making AI images of horses and hats. <laughs> Well, I hope you're making one for everybody. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. 
on Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.